Good morning. How are we all this morning? Doing okay? Loving the weather? Mild, yes. Rainy, not good. Um, how many of you love a good story? You might read a book, watch a movie, that kind of thing. Um, now, I shared a few months ago, and this keeps coming back to, to you know, bite me, that I have not watched the movie Titanic. And I, I shared at the time the reason for that is, and a big spoiler alert, the boat sinks. And I, I, sh- and I still have people coming up to me now. This, this is like, when did I share that? Back in March? And people say, have you watched the movie yet? And the answer is, no. No, I haven't. And in fact, some people got wind that, we are, that we've got a men's movie night on the 11th. A couple of weeks, and some said, why don't... No. No, we're not, we're not going to be showing that uh, that evening. Either. Apparently, there are seven archetypes of story. Okay, so if you look at books and, and movies, so there are things like overcoming the monster, you've seen those kind of movies, um, rags to riches, going on a quest, uh, the voyage and return, I guess that's like the Hobbit, you know, that kind of stuff, um, comedy, tragedy. One type of movie, or one type of story is called rebirth. In other words, it's a story of a changed, transformed life. Someone, something being reborn. I'm, I'm guessing that most, if not all of us, wish there were some things that were different in our lives. There were some, some things um, that, would be, that would be changed, that would be transformed in some way. Um, you know, maybe, there are, maybe you're single and wish you were married. Maybe you're married and wish you were single. Maybe uh, there are people, you know, you want a better job, a different job. You want a job. Uh, people wishing their bank balance looked different. People wishing their bodies looked different, all sorts of things. Most, if not all of us, in some areas of our life, would long for a fresh start, a new story, a new story. Is that possible? And if so, how? That's what I'm going to be sharing about this morning. If you have a Bible with you, could you turn to Acts chapter 9? You might have a paper Bible on a, on a device. The words will come up on the screen in a moment. Um, we're continuing our series, which we've entitled Advance. We've been looking through the book of Acts in the New Testament at some foundations for us as a church, but also important foundations for us in our lives. And so if you're here this morning and you've been following Jesus for decades, these are important foundations. If you're here this morning and you're trying church with us, Welcome. Thank you for taking this this time in your week to do so. Again, I hope that what I share is helpful to you, some helpful foundations for all of our lives. So I'm going to start reading at the beginning of Acts chapter 9. It's a story about a guy called Saul. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what they called Christians back then, followers of the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. 
The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. What happens next is there was a guy in Damascus called Ananias. He was a follower of Jesus. And the Lord spoke to him and said, go to this guy called Saul. He needs your help. And initially Ananias said, I've heard of that guy. No. But the Lord said, go. And so he did. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So this guy, Saul, later, as many of you will know, changed his name to Paul. He wrote much of the New Testament and played just this extraordinary role in the expansion of the church in the first century. It's an incredible story, isn't it, of somebody who has a brand new story. Now, I'm guessing that unlike Saul, most of us are not going around breathing out murderous threats. Am I safe, to say, am I safe here? Most, most, I suspect most of us are not going to go into an office or a workspace tomorrow and think, who can I kill? I hope. If you are, we will pray for you. But I'm guessing most of us don't. But I do believe that we all have a strong tendency to do life on our own terms to go our own way, to do our own thing in life. And what happened to Saul, and what happened to me when I was 11 years old, and what many here I know can testify, is that Jesus broke into our lives to start a new story. And Saul had a literal Damascus Road experience. That's where this saying comes from. He was on the road, and there's this bright light, There's this voice from heaven, and Saul asks, who are you? And the reply comes, I am Jesus. Now, Saul, having been someone who's around Jerusalem, would have known that Jesus had been crucified on the cross a few, probably just a bunch of weeks, two or three months earlier. He would have known that. But I suspect he did not believe that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. And so you need to kind of feel the shock here that Saul knew that Jesus had died and yet Jesus is now speaking to him. So you need to feel the shock in the story. So here's the thing. A new story starts with a new voice in our lives. 
A new story starts with a new voice in our lives. I believe that Jesus is always trying to get our attention. He's always saying something to us. He's always trying to like saying hello to us. And so if you're a follower of Jesus here today, he's doing that all of the time. And if you're here right now and you say, well, I'm not yet a follower of Jesus, I believe that he's reaching out to you today. There is a new voice, his voice. He wants you to hear him today. He's constantly speaking to us, speaking to us by his spirit, speaking to us through this book, the Bible, speaking through other people, through nature, through our conscience. Maybe you have this experience where you see the same thing again and again and again or hear the same thing again and again and again. I don't believe in coincidence. And maybe just something is grabbing your attention. And maybe that's the voice of God speaking to you. There are a couple of short stories that are recorded in the Gospels. Um, that They're connected together. One is told, and these are parables, these are illustrations that Jesus made. One is of a guy who was looking for uh, the, the best pearl in the whole world. And he finds it, and he sells everything he has in order to get that pearl. And then Jesus tells another story of someone who appears to be just randomly digging in a field and finds treasure. And the point is simply this. Sometimes we can be looking for Jesus, and other times we just bump into him. Either way, a new story starts with Jesus. New story starts with Jesus. Change and transformation in our lives always starts with hearing the voice of Jesus. That is true. If you're here and you wouldn't say you're a Christian yet, it starts with the voice of Jesus. If you're here today and you've been following Jesus for decades, but there's part of our lives where we want a new story to go on being written and re our lives restored and restoried, it happens as Jesus speaks to us. We need his voice. You know, the reality is, I don't know what your world is like, but my world is very noisy and very busy. And so if we want to hear the voice of Jesus, we need to dial down. We're going to need to find even just some moments of peace and quiet. Maybe you plug some headphones in so the rest of your family think you're uninterruptible. That's a good one. Just plug in or go for a walk or put on some worship music. Come to a Sunday service. You have. Come to a Sunday service. Be part of a small group. Those kind of things, incredibly helpful. Now, at, at this point in the story... Jesus has spoken to Saul, but he is still blind. So this guy called Ananias comes along. He prays for him. Something like scales fall from Saul's eyes. He can see physically, but the account then says that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is reborn. This is a rebirth story. And the filling of the Holy Spirit means that he and we can now see spiritually. We can see. He gets baptized as a marker of this new story. Now, we're baptizing, I think, three people, but none of them were going to get up at 9.30. I'm sorry. They're coming to the 11.15 service. That's where we're baptizing. Um, this. So you're welcome to come back. Go, go and get yourself a nice coffee, a croissant, pastry. I don't know where you get that in Felton this morning. Find somewhere. You're welcome to come back, but we're going to be baptizing at our 11.15 story. But it's a marker of a new story. See, a new story has a new start, doesn't it? 
There is this new start. There is this moment. Whatever our past or present, Jesus offers us a new future. He always gives us a second chance and a third chance and a thousandth and eighth chance. He is always wanting to start a new story in our lives. Back in the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says that if we come to him and when we come to him, we can receive life. Indeed, what Jesus says is that he has come that we may have life and life to the full. It's one of the reasons that Jesus came. Jesus offers us a better life, an abundant life. He offers us a life where we can flourish relationally and sexually, where we can do the very best with our money, where we can live a life that's not controlled by fear and anxiety, where we can live a life that has a deep sense of purpose and contentment, an abundant life. That's what Jesus comes to give us. So one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he is like an author who is constantly writing a new story. And he does that in our lives. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus being the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who starts the story, and he's the one who keeps writing the story. And so it doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus or whether you haven't started that journey yet. He is always writing a new story. Now, this story that I've read from about Saul, it's jaw-dropping, isn't it? I find it utterly jaw-dropping that we go from verse 1 in this chapter where he's breathing out these murderous threats. And for him, this was real. Unlike what I hope most of us, you're not going to go and do that tomorrow morning in your workplace, right? However bad your boss is, you're not going to... For him, this was real. He was breathing out murderous threats. By verses 19 to 22, he is hanging out with, in the church with Christians... And he's now preaching the good news of Jesus. This is, this is jaw-dropping change. So the third thing I want to share this morning is this new story is a whole new way of living. It's not just a little tweak. It's not like just something added like as a, as a cherry on the cake to our lives. This is a whole new way of doing life. There are so many ways that the life of Jesus um, the, the, the life that Jesus offers us, it, he offers us a way of doing a life in a way better way than we could ever do any other way. So I could illustrate that by talking about sex this morning, talking about relationships, about raising kids, about dealing with hurt. These are all kind of areas where the life of Jesus makes a difference. But what I'm going to do this morning is think about how um, a life with Jesus can help us do well in a cost-of-living crisis. So I'm going to talk very briefly about money, but from this perspective of something that we are all facing, I think without exception, um, the, the cost of living and energy crisis that we're currently living in. And so I'm going to share a couple of things that I've been thinking about that are hopefully helpful to you as well. The first is living the, the importance of the posture with which we live our lives. In other words, how are, we, how are we positioning our lives with respect to God? There's a Christian author and pastor called John Ortberg, and he wrote a book, and the title was this, When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. You may have played this game with your kids. It's a good game if you're a parent, particularly with young kids, you know, because normally at the end of the day, there's carnage, right? 
and there's Lego everywhere and jigsaw pieces and everything like that. It's a great game to play, which is let's play the game of get it all back in the box. And that's the final game we're going to play today. And, you know, get it all back in the box. Ortberg says that when we get done playing the game of life, everything goes back in the box. The box is often wooden. It's about seven foot long, a couple of feet wide, a couple of feet deep. It all goes in the box. We come into this world with nothing, and we are going to leave with nothing. It seems to me the best posture to live our lives with is open hands. Simply living with open hands. Understanding that everything that we have in our lives is a gift from God. We don't own our money. It's entrusted to us. It all belongs to the Lord. And so we live our lives with a posture of open hands, trusting him to provide for us. See, if our hands are open, the Lord can put things in our hands. So that's a good posture to live. But open hands also means that we will live generously. We won't hold on to the things that the Lord puts in our hands, but a posture of living open-handedly means that we will live our lives generously. So that's the first, po- first, first thing I wanted to share. The second thing is the priorities of our lives. Some of you will have heard of, a, of an evangelist who lived in the 18th century called John Wesley. Famous evangelist, um, one of the founders of, of Methodism. He, he said this in talking about financial resources. He said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And I'm going to just unpack that briefly so that we just get to the heart of what he was saying. Firstly, earn all you can. He would be very clear, and I would be very clear as well. Not aggressively, not destructively. Rather, what Wesley did was he emphasized a participation in God's healing and creative work in the world. Now, when we think about a cost of living crisis and earning all we can, for some, practically, this may mean working additional hours. Or it may mean a partner going back to work. There may be some practical changes that need to take place. Or it may be that if you're someone who receives benefits, checking that you're getting the benefits that you can sign up for. Again, there is assistance within the life of our church to help with that. So that's the first thing, earn all we can. Secondly, save all we can. Now again, just to be clear, Wesley, and I would add to this, never advocated hoarding. It's not about just gathering stuff and holding it tight. Rather, what Wesley did was he called people to live a simpler lifestyle to live a simpler life, cutting back where we can. Now, I'm guessing many of us are doing that already. Many of us have probably put our heating on less. Anyone done that? Or maybe not at all yet. That's saving all you can. Maybe you've, somebody that's had Now TV, Apple TV, Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, and you kind of thought, do I really need four streaming services? I can only watch one. Maybe that's something that you've been thinking about. I want to ask a question here. Having a household budget makes this possible, in my experience. 
Having a budget, which you ahead of time, myself and Bethan do this once a year. We sit down and say, what are we going to spend this year on different things? And we have that. And then each month we track how we're doing. Like, are we actually living within the budget that we, um, that we set? Now, would you humor me here? Because I would love to know how we as a church are doing here. So I'm going to ask us all to do this. Close your eyes so nobody knows your response. If you have a household budget that you use, so you've planned it and then you track it, could you just raise your hand? Okay, wonderful. Put your hand down before anybody sees. Okay? That, on on an estimate, was about 20% of us. Okay? So there are some tools that we have ruled out. I'll talk about them in a moment. But what I want to say is if you want to really do well in a cost-of-living crisis, an active household budget is really going to help you. Really going to help you. So we save all we can in order to give all we can. We live simply so that others can simply live. And so I love what we do together as a church. Our compassion ministry is something that I love. So storehouse, um, our job club, our money advice center, I loved hearing about the warm welcome space. So Emilio, thank you for all you've done and others within that area. So as you've heard, that's going to be opening up seven days a week from about a week's time, from Monday the 7th of November, from half nine till two. If you need a warm space, come on in. If you know somebody, a neighbor, a friend, that could do with saving some money on their home energy bills in order to come here, come on in. As we give generously, each of us, to the ministry of this church, even during the current times that we're facing, we can all be a part of practically serving people in our communities. And so I would just encourage you, keep living generously. Keep living generously. If you need help, firstly, talk to your small group leader. Secondly, if you're not in a small group, one, join one. And secondly, if you want to know, well, how do I do that? Talk to one of the pastoral team and we will, we will help you. Thirdly, there is a budgeting tool from an organization called CAP that helps with household budgeting. We have rolled that out through all of the small groups back, I think in April or May this year. All of the small group leaders have got that. If you've forgotten where you filed it, email Rob again. We'll make sure you've got that. But again, as you've heard me speak this morning, you might say, that's something I need to put in place. We would love to help. Um, We have um, money management drop-in, I think they're drop-in sessions, aren't they, on Saturdays the 12th and the 19th of November. Again, that's run by Alison Berry, who's part of our church here, but she also works for CAP. And so you can find details of that on our website. Make use of the warm space um, from the 7th of November. If you need practical help with food, a referral to Storehouse is easy through either the pastoral staff or your small group. Um, If you'd be helped by the Job Club or the Money Advice Center, again, talk to one of the pastoral staff or simply go to riversidevineyard.com forward slash compassion. And one of the resources up on that compassion page, I think, or you can type forward slash money, there is a document there that CAP have put together of a whole lot of practical tips that we can all do to save money in the current times. 
So a whole lot of practical stuff there. That is freely available to you. Can I just throw out something really crazy? For many of you, if you're a household, you'll know that there's a government scheme of, I think it's £400 rebate over the next six months. And for many households, that is going to be a really helpful thing. But I also know there are some households who don't need that £400. If you are one of those households, could I just throw out a challenge? Give it. Give, give it. And one place to give that would be to our Compassion Centre. Because when we open the warm space, our bills are going to go up. And we're doing that to serve our communities. So if you're one of those families or households that are thinking, I don't need that money, could you recycle it? Because we, we, will, we will use it. Okay? I'll just have that for free. Briefly back to Saul's story in the, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. As I was reading the last few verses, there were three words that just jumped out at me that describe Saul after he's met Jesus. People were astonished. People were baffled by his new life. And verse 22 says that he grew more and more. Something changing. Seems to me that the new story that Jesus invites us into is a story of radical life change. There will be things about our lives that are visibly different because of the new story that Jesus is writing. See, it seems to me as Jesus' life gets into us, our character will change. Our lives will grow. We will have an increasingly deeper, settled sense of our new identity. Jesus comes to give us a whole brand new kind of security and identity in life, and we will have a deeper sense of being settled in the people that we were made to be. There will be things about our lives that astonish and baffle the people around us. I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, there should be things about our lives that are unexplainable, but for Jesus. There should be things that just cause people to say, how? Why? That sense of astonishment, and is bafflement a word? I'm using it. I'm claiming that word. A sense of bafflement, like, what's happened? What's happened? See, I know that there are people here, and I was talking to one of them earlier, who I knew them before they found Jesus. And their life has radically changed because of Jesus. That is the life that Jesus offers. And it seems to me that we hear his voice and it gets our attention and we turn and we open our lives to him. At one level, it's as simple as that. But when we do that, the life of Jesus is poured into us. That's what makes the difference. That's what makes the difference.